0: Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 48 as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 48, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Originally I had considered just doing the whole chapter it's all one big theme, but it was just too much and I feel like this theme needs two weeks for us to work through it. And so as we go to God's Word, let's go to Him now in prayer and ask for His help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us. We are a stubborn and stiff-necked people, as you call us in this text and in many others. And because of our stubbornness, we would even sometimes read your holy and perfect words and think that they somehow need addition or correction. Because our words are indeed better. Nothing could be further from the truth than that. And so Lord, as we come to your word, please open our hearts, change them, cause us to see the things that are right and good and draw us closer to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this text, it made me think about myself as a teenager. Uh, when I was a teenager and young, a younger teenager in particular. I started to care less and less about my appearance because I started to realize I can control these things, you know. It wasn't like I was a slob or anything. I mean, not, I guess maybe a little bit of a slob. But I stopped worrying about like things like, you know, making sure my clothes were always clean when I wore them and making sure that my hair always looked right. I know that sounds odd, but I did have hair in those days and I had to comb it. Something I haven't had to do in a long time, but I just stopped doing that because I didn't really care. I just put a hat on usually. And the hat took care of flattening it down before I got to school. So when we would go out in public, to church or wherever, like a restaurant or something like that, I would just wear whatever, of course, was on the floor. I would just kind of put a hat on and start walking out the door. And my mom would see me and she'd say, you can't go out looking like that. And I would respond, I don't care what I look like. Or I don't care what people think about what I look like. And she would respond, and this changed me, and she had to do this several times for, for me to finally get it. She she would say, this has nothing to do with you. I don't want people to look at you and think that I'm a bad mother. So I would change my clothes and I would comb my hair because even though my mom is less than half my size, she had control over me. I was so self-absorbed that I couldn't even imagine that my my appearance had anything to do with anyone else at all. But it was just, just about me. And yes, this reflected a whole lot of things. It was told a story of my rebellious heart, but it also told a story of my mother who loved me enough to tell me that it wasn't all about me. That, I, that she didn't want the wrong story being told about me. And so in our text today, we have this kind of interaction between God and His people. Last week we looked at Babylon. Remember back in the fall of Babylon. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at the restoration then of Jerusalem, kind of this tale of two cities almost, and in this direct contrast with one another. 48 gives us this big overarching idea of God restoring his people. And again, I want to be able to break this down a little bit more, so we're going to still be looking at this next week. What we see here is the idea of a people who need reforming. And a God who reforms them for his name's sake. In their, their own self-interest aside, God is not concerned with their self-interest. God refines and reforms his people because his name will be glorified in all the earth. That is his reason for doing. Even as God delivers his people, he plans to work on their hearts. We saw this in Isaiah's day. We saw it before Isaiah's day. We see it today in the church. We'll continue to see it until the Lord Jesus decides to come home or come back. There's a plan for us one day, again, to be with Jesus in glory. But for now, he's working on our stubborn hearts right here on earth. This process is called sanctification. It's a big word that we throw around sometimes in the church. But it's making us holy. It's literally what it means making us to be more like Him. This is what we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks. And so with the text today, we're breaking up into two points, God's stubborn people and then God's sanctifying grace. With that, please stand with me as we read God's Word, Isaiah chapter 48, with the first 11 verses in view today. Isaiah 48, starting at verse 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right, for they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declare of old, they went out from my mouth, I announced them, and then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass." Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old, before they came of pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and you will, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you, sh- you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. I knew that you would d- surely deal treacherously, and that before birth, you were called a rebel. For my name's sake... I defer my anger for the sake of my praise. I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again, remember last week we looked at the fall of Babylon, how though they thought they were going to live forever, God had plans for their destruction, and their entire civilization was scattered to the winds not long after it peaked in power, really, as as far as history's timeline is concerned. It's God who makes the nations rise and fall according to his own purposes, and we saw how that, that should serve as a warning to us when we are tempted by the world. And so this week, we have almost the antithesis of that. We have a nation that was completely obliterated, being brought up and being restored. God restoring his covenant people. But he also is going to give them some pretty hard words, as you saw here in our text. We all understand and know intimately the idea that it's only the ones that we love and care for the most that can actually stir us up the most. They're the ones that can give us the most intense kinds of emotions, the ones that we love and care for the most. And so as we find the Lord here, as he's promising to rescue his people, which he does, but it's not before he explains to them why and how he plans to refine them. And again, that's the theme for us next week as we deal with this whole chapter. That brings me to the first point. God's stubborn people look with me again at verses one, two. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, confess the God of Israel, but not in truth and right. For they call themselves after the holy city, they stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. You have this kind of introduction the people of the people of God, a few things. They- Notice the, the, prop, the language the prophet is using. He's saying they're the house of Jacob. They are called Israel, which has this real distinction as far as the meaning of the name. They came from the waters of Judah. They swear according to the name of the Lord, which he, here would use the proper name of God used in the scriptures. They confess the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. They're the, a holy city. All of these things the people of God had going for them they were of the lineage of Isaac or Abraham, Isaac and, and Jacob and they were the the southern kingdom known as Judah who is the first son, uh, the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. You're familiar with their story and so there's this all these things they have going for them. Yet even though they have this great intro, notice there's even this hint of hypocrisy in the midst of that. He says in verse 1 says but not in truth or right. All of these things they have, they just really haven't been living according to these things. And so the prophet is basically saying, hear this. And he's calling them to attention, these important things that are about to come from the Lord's mouth. It's not as if there are unimportant things that come from God's mouth, of course, but sometimes special attention needs to be called. He's speaking to a hypocritical people about how he plans to restore them and then refine them. And the word li- Israel even literally means struggles with God. Jacob was given that when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. It's a word that totally fits the people of God, both then and today. We should get that. And ver- that moves us to verse three. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. This should seem pretty plain to us as we've worked through many books of the Bible at this point. We understand this shouldn't be new information to us believers that God does the things as he pleases to do them. I think everyone understands that we worship a sovereign God that does as he pleases, since that's what the Bible says about him. He does as he pleases. We worship a God that keeps his promises. He's been keeping them as long as he's been making them. He's always going to keep them. The very foundations of the earth are built upon his promises. His very nature is built upon his promises. He declares the things of old. He caused those things to be. And yet I am still obstinate. I am still obstinate. Verse 4. Why did he do these things? Well, because I know that you are obstinate. And your neck is an iron sinew. And your forehead, brass. It's a pretty, pretty interesting picture. It's the people of God then, of course, but we know it's the people of God now because we know our own hearts, or at least you should. We are obstinate people. Our neck is made of sinew. When I, when I read this, I thought of like a baby, you know, it doesn't take babies when they're first born, they're kind of limp or whatever, and that's the best days, but they soon realize that they can have some, you know, uh, control over their environments. They soon realize that they have a little bit of strength to them, right? And they can manipulate their environments a little bit. But ultimately, when it comes to, like, their comparison to an adult, they're still really weak. But if you've ever held a baby that didn't want to do something, and you wanted it to do something else, you know that that baby can become as rigid as a board. Just... You know, and just become so mad. It's it's just part of who we are. When I read this iron sin, neck of iron sinew, that was the first thing that I thought about. Putting my kids in the bed. And they would just all of a sudden, when they were babies, and all of a sudden they would transform into an oak board. Just magically. That's us. When it comes to the things of God. And God's view of us not seeing them, not understanding them. Not wanting them. God affirms this he can, when he, when it comes to our, from, to our stubbornness. How long have we been stubborn? Well, verse eight tells us, you have never heard. You have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would deal treacherously and that before birth, you were called a rebel. Before birth. Something for you to mark down, brothers and sisters in Christ, anyone who would ever want to discuss with you the fact that babies are born innocent before God. That they have to get out and they have to actually sin sometime outside of the womb in order to be rebellious and kind of come to this age of accountability or whatever nonsense has been used to describe that. It seems to me that the prophet, using the words of God himself, says that even before our birth, we were called rebellious. So how long have we need a savior? Is it that first time that I lied to my mom? Nope. It was well before I was even born in my conception. I needed a savior. And this isn't new information. It's not as if you and I were conceived and God was like, "Mm, I was really hoping that wouldn't be different. He knew this about us from the foundations of the earth. That we were going to be an obstinate people, that our necks were going to be like iron sinews, that our foreheads were going to be like brass when it came to his word. He knew we were going to be obstinate. And I love how he spells this out. You know, you just you just just think of this in your interactions with like people who don't understand things. It makes me think of my classroom i declared them to you from old before they came to pass i announced them to you lest you should say my idol did that my carved image and my metal image commanded those things remember in all the study of idolatry that we've done in previous weeks the same thing that the the same thing the craftsman like heated up his meal with he made an idol out of he like built a fire to cook supper, and with the rest of it, he made an idol and worshiped. That's how fickle we are. We'd quickly attribute the sovereign deity to a log rather than trust our creator. That's how stubborn we are. We'd never say that out loud, of course. I would never say, yeah, I'd rather something else be God than than the one true God. We'd never say that, but we demonstrate that by the way that we live, by the way that we worry about the silliest little things, by the way that we always think that we're somehow good enough, by the way that we somehow dismiss God and His goodness in us. And so as we read this, we get a picture of what God means when He calls us over and over again in Scripture a stubborn, stiff-necked people. And it's not as if God had to wait until the wedding night. You know, we're often called the bride of the Lord. It's not as if he had to wait till the wedding night to figure that out about us. He didn't deliver his people from Egypt and then have them out in the wilderness. And once they started complaining, he said, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this with the people. I thought we were going to have this great honeymoon. That I was going to love my people and they were going to love me back and this was going to be wonderful. They get a few miles down the road from Egypt and they start complaining. They're even complaining when God is like about to open the Red Sea up. God didn't have to move to plan B at this point. Well, that's not quite like I thought it was going to go, so let me have this other plan. God doesn't have a plan B. His plans are always accomplished exactly as he means them to be. Isaiah's people are no different. The people in Isaiah's day, the people in our own day, it's no different today. I tell my children sometimes that the only reason they're still alive is because I haven't allowed their mother to kill them. Mm -hmm. Joking side, that's not actually what would happen. You you guys know Emily. She would never do that. (laughs) But we feel like that sometimes, right? I think of myself as a teenager. My gosh, I deserved much worse than any fate I was ever given. I was a horrible, horrible individual, and the fact that my mom did not destroy me is a mercy unknown. When I look at my life now, I consider the blessings of God in my life. Think about my sinful heart even now. I wonder why God hasn't looked at me and just said to me, I'll work on everyone else, but you, I'm sick of you. I'm done with you. You're on your own now. Why hasn't he done that? You think about your own hearts. You think about your own persistence in the same sins, those same worries. Why hasn't he done it? Why hasn't he kicked us to the curb and worked, went and worked on better people? It's because there's not any. He's still here. In fact, we called him to be here among us and worship today. And we know that he is here because he promises that he will do that. Why would he possibly be here with the people that are so stubborn? Well, he tells us, and that brings us to the next point. God's sanctifying grace. Look with me at verse nine. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Notice. This has nothing to do with me or with you. The fact that I haven't been snuffed out by God is, has nothing to do with the fact that I somehow got better than I was. That the bad, that the good things outweighed the bad things in my life. And he's like, okay, you're good for now. It's because of him. Because of his namesake. Notice the subject of all of these sentences. It's the Lord. For my name's sake, I, the Lord, deferred my anger. He restrains his anger for his own name's sake. He's not cutting us off because of his own name. And understand here, we're not simply talking about the name of God and his reputation. But that's yes, that is definitely in view. But there's so much more to this. He calls us his people. We are part of his name. My kids have my name. When they are recognized for good things, when they do good things and someone else recognizes them, people think two things at that point. They think, wow, those kids are great, but they also think, I know their parents. There's this dual thing that's going on here. We also think about everything that that name encompasses. Absolutely, we do. And so as the people of God, as the people of Jesus Christ, we are called Christians. We wear the name of God. We carry his name because we are his. And so when he says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. He does so so that it can be known the work that he intends to do in us. And that he is that he, that going to see it come through to completion. And also see here. He's deferring his anger. When he's deferring it, he's saying he's letting it slide for a little bit, but it's not erasing his anger. It's not as if his anger is not going to somehow be satiated. It will absolutely be satiated. His anger cannot just go unnoticed or unanswered. He's waiting for the day that his anger for the sin that are committed by the people of God would finally be satiated. And we know when that happens. It happened with Jesus on the cross. He deferred his anger until such a time as his son was nailed to the cross. And all of his anger and his wrath was poured out upon his son for the sins that you committed and that I committed. His anger was deferred for his people. But for the sake of his people, it was completely all of that anger. Consider this was rained down upon jesus jesus took for himself the wrath that was due to you and i and he gave to us his righteousness and that's that's amazing but notice the work that he's doing is not done the work of justification is absolutely finished jesus said it is finished it's done it's complete not to those who will who have confessed you and I who have confessed the Lord but even to those who will one day confess the name of Jesus as Lord their justification has been complete also but the work of sanctification in your in your life and in my life is still a process he is doing it he's doing it even now as we hear his word preached he is changing us and that's what we see in verses 10 and 11 look with me at 10 and 11 Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So again, why does he do this? For his name's sake. We are sanctified because God is good. Because God keeps his promises. Because God cannot lie. Turn with me to 2 Timothy Chapter 2 We see this in the New Testament as well Many times throughout scripture you see this idea But this is one of my Favorite places particularly when I Start to think about my own sin And I think Why is it that God Would even deal with me I can't even like do one thing right I can't do the same thing that I keep getting wrong I can't fix it Why is it that God still deals with me Well this is a verse that i always go to or section I always go to second timothy chapter two starting at verse eight remember jesus christ risen from the dead the offspring of david as preached in my gospel for which i am suffering bound with change as a criminal but the word of god is not bound Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, get this, you who have been faithless. For me, who have been faithless. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Why does he do? For his name's sake. These are Paul's words to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor and evangelist. Probably had some pretty rough times. Some pretty rough times of doubt and despair. Paul reminds him. God keeps you safe. God keeps you at all because he's a good God, not because you're a good Timothy. He keeps you for his name's sake. Going back to Isaiah 48, let's look at 10 and 11 a little closer. There's a lot there to teach us about the sanctification process. I think many times when we think about sanctification, we picture it. So many times I heard this in my, in my youth and even as a youth pastor going to things like youth camps and youth conferences and that sort of thing. You've probably even heard this illustration used before that when, when God creates us, He has this, this kind of blank slate. It was oftentimes, um, oftentimes like pictured as like a big block of stone and God had a chisel and He was just kind of chiseling away to find the good stuff. And once he removed all the bad stuff, there it was, the good stuff that existed all along. Goofy. Doesn't make any sense. Alright? Why doesn't it make sense? Because it's not as if when God saved me that there was something good about me, that God just had to remove the bad in order to find the good. That's not what happened at all. There wasn't any good in me. And oftentimes when that sort of thing is preached, what will they will say? Well, God is doing this work in you and you just need to to allow God to do his work. Don't get in God's way. Let him work on you as if he's just some stonemason that's just trying to get his work done and people keep bothering him. I mean, think about that baby. Think about if those of you who have put a baby to bed, sometimes they don't want to go to bed. And they'll straighten out, and they'll become that bored and they'll cry. And sure, that baby is strong, but at the end of the day, it's just the baby. When it's time to go to bed, guess what the baby gets put in? The bed. And the baby will go to bed. Kids do that stuff all the time, but they eventually get it. They eventually submit. It's not as if I tried to put the baby to bed, you know, it's like I have this little eight pound child and I'm trying to put it in the bed and I'm not able to do that. And I had to run out of the room and say, I'm going to need some help in here. It's getting pretty rough. When God refines us, he doesn't need any help. When he refines us, what does Isaiah tell us? It's not like silver. Because with silver, you see, there's something pure there. There's something that if you can just remove all the bad, there's something pure to be had. Now, there are other places in Scripture where he does compare the body of the, the, the church or the people of God to silver in that he's removing those who are not the people. And you kind of have this visible and invisible church thing. But consider this for the individual believer. It's not as if there's something good that he just needs to find in us. Because without him, guess what? There's no good. With silver, you can just heat it up a whole lot and those impurities will eventually burn off and what you'll have left is just silver. This pure product. With me, God had only bad stuff to work with. There wasn't a good thing that He could somehow make better. When Jesus saved you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, God didn't take the bad away. That's not what we read in the Scripture. What do we read? The old is gone. The new is come. We are a new creation. The bad things just didn't need replaced are the bad things that need to be taken away. Everything needed to be replaced. The whole thing was bad in Christ. We are new creation. And this is the work that Jesus Christ does in us. And he doesn't fail. It's not as if we can somehow. I don't want you to do this. No, he, he doesn't fail. For his name's sake. He does as he pleases. It's not as if we can somehow block him. And God's going to say. Well this one's not really letting me make them holy. This one's not really letting me change them. God's not thwarted by the will of man. He does as he pleases. So that when we read. When we are refined by the fire. Read here. That he changes us. And because he changes us. We can endure the fire that he has for us. Those fires, what were they for Judah? Well, they were sent into exile. Babylonians came in, wrecked the city of Jerusalem, took all their leaders, took them to Babylon. and For 70 years, they lived and worshipped in Babylon. What does that mean for us today? Thankfully, we're not being taken into exile takes many and varied forms living this life here on earth today we experience loss we experience sadness and difficulty but not because god is mean not at all not because he somehow got it wrong in our lives and doesn't know what he's doing it's because he's good it wasn't as if i was putting my kids to bed because i didn't like them but because being able to go to bed and not throwing a wild fit is a good skill in life and so what does god want us to do he doesn't refine us in the fire as punishment, but rather to make us more like Jesus. So that we might more and more glorify his name for my own sake. For my sake, I do it for how should my name be profaned? It's almost as if he's saying, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Me make you holy or my name be profaned? As if I'm going to allow that to happen. My glory I give to no other. And so of course he's not going to allow his people to, to be unchanged and unrefined. For his namesake he took those who were his enemies dead in their trespasses. And he made us alive together with Christ. And so brothers and sisters in Christ as you hear this. What is the response that we should then do? Well we should trust in the Lord. He's doing this work in you. He's going to do it so much so that you can't even believe. You're going to look back and you're going to think, I can't believe I was once like that. It's because the Lord is changing you. He intends to purify you, to build you, to make you more and more like his son. Why does he do that? Because he keeps his promises to us. He cannot deny himself. By virtue of his very nature, he keeps his promises to change his people. And if you're here and you're not a believer, understand the message is for you is the same. God keeps his promises, and for his name's sake, he will keep those promises. And that one of those promises is to punish unbelief. He has to. For his very nature. He can't not be he can't be God if he doesn't do that. So if you die in your unbelief, his anger and his wrath, rather than being put upon Christ, they're going to be put upon you, and you will face God one day in judgment call upon the name of Jesus Christ and be saved rather than do that so in conclusion again we're going to continue to deal with this idea next week in Christ not only have we been delivered from death but we are also being made holy we are being passed through the fire for the glory of God And so let us submit to God trust that even in our circumstances which may be difficult he is doing a work for our good and for his glory Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we don't often understand the work that you are doing in our lives. We don't understand the circumstances by which you do that work. We don't understand what you're doing because we are simple and you are infinite. We are not good and you are. And so, Lord, help us to submit to your will, to trust that what you are doing is right and good for your people, ultimately knowing that you came to save a people for yourself. You sent Jesus that that might occur, and Lord, you mean good things for your people. Lord, help us to trust in your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.